Thanks for joining us this week and happy Halloween! We are proud to present the first ever episode of Good Vibe Hive with Greg Gagan. Today we're going to talk to Greg about the rise and fall of his haunted house, the accompanying entrepreneurial lessons, and his experiences with apathy and depression. Hey, thanks again for joining us, guys. We're super excited to introduce um, Greg Gagan on the Good Vibe Hive with us this week. Um, he's my uncle, really cool guy. We go way back. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, Greg, you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. Um, glad to be here with you. Thank you for asking. Um, I, um, of course, my wife is is sisters with your mother, so. Um, been part of the family for quite a while. We've been married for uh, bumping on 30 years, so uh, quite a while. Have five children, uh, your cousins. My oldest is 26, and my youngest is 16. And uh, we've just uh, got a new granddaughter here, six months old. So we've gone to the next level, and we're really excited about that. That's probably the most exciting thing that's happened in, in a while. <laughs> Congratulations, so, yep. Grandpa Greg. Yep, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> yep. So Greg is super funny guy. Um, just to tell you a little bit of what I know about him, um, he's super super redneck in some ways. <laughs> in a lot of ways, I in, in the best that. ways. Yeah. Uh, I remember growing up, and every year there seemed to be this tradition where in the summer we would do some crazy thing. Um, one year we would have a chocolate slip and slide. The next year we would be in the back of his truck full of water, and he would be turning and spinning and. One of us would be drowning in the back and the Red other one would be crushed by. Yep, that's right. <laughs> and then the next year he'd pull out his tractor and we'd be all hanging on it as he swings us in a circle. It was, it was crazy good time, but we yeah. love Greg. Super Fourth of July activities, <laughs> yep. Great fun. Yep. Well, today we were wanting to have Greg with us because, well, I mean, for the Halloween special, we wanted to talk to him first a little bit just about something that we think is super cool where he um, actually had the opportunity to open a haunted house. And we want to talk to him a little bit about those experiences. So. Yeah, so kind of a beginning question. What happened in the preceding months or years that kind of led you to opening a haunted house and thinking that was the direction you wanted to go? Um, well, uh, it was really kind of a spur of the moment decision to do a haunted house. Although I had always enjoyed Halloween uh, just going back to my childhood, my mom made a big deal about Halloween. Um, I really love the month of October and, you know, going back to school when I was younger and, and uh, you know, a lot of the outdoor activities, the leaves are changing. This is one of my favorite times of year. So I've always been really excited about the month of October. I also had a friend um, who grew up down the street when we were in our early teens. He had a big oak tree in front of his front door and it had a branch that would extend over uh, near his house and by that front door and uh, we learned pretty on that we could have a lot of laughs jumping out of that tree <laughs> on the trick-or-treaters and scaring people that it was actually a lot of fun to scare people so it probably goes back somewhere there <laughs> but I had a friend that also was very much into events and he produced a lot of shows a couple of opening ceremonies for the Olympics um, big events, you know, stadium of fire kind of a thing and, uh, a lot of activities. And I worked with him out at Thanksgiving point where I worked at the time. This is back in, uh, two, early two thousands. And, uh, it was actually his idea. He said, Hey, let's do a haunted house. And 
I kind of made a snap decision to, to do it at that time. So, um, that's what, that's what led up to it. That's how I got into it. He was really the brains of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how to do an event and an activity like that. And I was more just the, the dumb muscle behind it. Yeah. So, no. yeah. Well, where were you at in life? Like how many kids did you have? What, um, let's see, this would have been in 2007 that okay. we did it. So, um, 13 years ago, that would put me at 40. Okay. So not young, but not old either, I guess, depends yeah. on your perspective. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I had all my kids at that, that time. And, um, um, uh, so anyway, it was, it was a lot of fun. I still had energy back then to do something crazy <laughs> like that. Yeah. yeah. It sounds crazy for sure. Yeah. So what was it at that time in your life that made you decide that you needed to do some kind of investing or open something? Was Well, I've always been, I would just say, I mean, I own my own business now, uh, and have for quite a while, but I've always done things, tried to build something, piece of land or real estate or Whatever. So I'd consider myself somewhat of an entrepreneur, uh, and, and all that means is an opportunist. Mm-hmm. When an opportunity comes along, then you know I think, hey, this makes sense at the moment, and you know you take a risk and and you, and you go for it. I think a lot of activities. <clears throat> I make reference to surfing. Uh, you sit out in the water and you wait for a wave to come, and when a wave comes, you ride it. And sometimes it's a short wave, sometimes it's big, sometimes it's little. Sometimes mm-hmm. you ride it a long time. Most of them end. Everything ends, you go get a new wave. So yep. that's kind of how this was too. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of talking about the end, what led to the end of the haunted house? How did that? Well, our timing was absolutely perfect for um, uh, a failure. And that happened in 2007, of course, the global financial uh, crisis that happened right. then that was centered around the housing mm-hmm. bubble and real estate. And I was personally involved in that as a, as a, in development and, uh, and worked in, in development and lending in that industry. And so, uh, my timing was just bad personally. And, and then at that time it really affected everyone. And it's, it's interesting. You think, well, what's the housing market got to do with the haunted house? But when something is that systemic, it really affects everyone. Uh, kind of like this COVID thing. Now there really isn't anybody that's immune somehow everyone is affected and so uh, you can feel that especially when you're trying to start something Um, uh, it's always uh, difficult to start something and so that was bad timing yeah really bad timing it was people were really afraid and they just weren't really really willing to spend their you know their their uh, discretionary money at that time something as frivolous as a haunted house Mm -hmm. right so so how long did you have the haunted house? Was it just a year? Thing? Two years. Two years. Tried two years. Okay. Um, and uh, we actually hired a special effects company and had it build. It was, had automation in it. We actually spent a lot of money in it, probably too much. That was one of the mistakes is that we had way too much debt. We started out too strong and uh, we hired a lot of professional artists professional actors so we really tried to go big with it yeah and come out of the block strong um it was called the scream asylum and uh it was a lot of fun and i think from a scare standpoint from a funhouse standpoint it it had a level of success it just financially struggled it had too much debt and then the market was softer and the combination mm-hmm. of the two was made it very difficult 
Yeah. So. So as a self-proclaimed somewhat um, Imagineer, uh, whatever you want to call it, entrepreneur, <laughs> there's a lot of names that I'm with now. Right. Um, going into that, you know that there's risks associated. What is it that allows you or pushes you to say, hey, I don't care about those risks. I just want to do this. Well, I don't know if I'd ever say that I didn't care. In yeah. fact, now I care about risk a lot more than I did then. Okay. Um, you know, you try and take calculated risks and you think you, um, you know, you think you measure things, you, you make estimates, you make assumptions, and hopefully those are accurate and you did your math right. Um, you know, and so you take a risk. I don't know, maybe that's a personality thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe it's, it's okay to take risks and we must take risks. Everybody does at some level in their lives. Um, but I think the thing is you have to be prepared that you will lose. Everybody loses. And I think at least at that in my point in, in, in my life, and I even think the whole world, the whole financial crisis, there was an element of hubris in the world, which is uh, pride and maybe arrogance a little bit. But there's a naive element when you enter hubris. And so you make decisions that you thought you knew the risk and and you really didn't see it very clearly. And, you know, you pay for it. Yep. <laughs> and I think that, you know, that again, me personally at that time, it's a reflection of that same attitude and criticism of myself. And then I would criticize, again, the whole the whole marketplace, the whole world for at that time. So anyway. <clears throat> But you take, you know, I still take risks. Yep. <laughs> you have to. It's life, yeah, right? Right, right. Would I do that one again? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Right. Okay, so kind of on a side note, did you ever go through your own haunted house? Like. Oh, yeah, we watched it all the time. I was there every night. Um, so you, you would hire these actors and... Yeah. and actresses and and uh they would have different characters a lot of them you would ask for a certain character a lot of them would bring their own characters uh-huh. which which made it really fun but uh we would watch it ours was a maze inside of a building and it had platforms all the way around it so you could watch people mm-hmm. all the time and see what worked, see what didn't how mm-hmm. could you make this better and so but as far as like walking through it sometimes i would but it was more with a critical eye of mm-hmm you know, is, is something wrong? You know, yeah. how do, how do I make this better? So <laughs> no real scares for you. Yeah. No, no real, no real scares. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing ever caught you off guard. Nobody, switched nobody really ever caught you. guard. Yeah. Most of the actors would see me and, you know, and they'd get real serious. All of a sudden, <laughs> try and get really scary. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. But that's yeah. funny that you talk about those platforms that brings up a memory that I forgot about. I mean, I remember Brinkley and, and some of Greg's children talking about how they would like to sit on the platforms. Sit on the and, platforms, yeah, and yeah. you could watch people go through it. And yep. Yeah. No, that was that was terrifying. I remember one time we were all supposed to go, and we were I think we were celebrating the opening of it or something along those lines. Yeah. And you were trying to get us to all go, and us little kids were like, no way. Yeah. <laughs> My youngest uh, children at the time, uh, I don't remember exactly how old they were, but we would... I would let them go through it, but with the lights on before we opened. So, and it was scary enough even then for them. So it was good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I think that that's super interesting. I'm glad that we've talked about um, just the business aspect of, of what you went through. Right. Um, you've shared with us that the ending of that was kind of somewhat of a camel that broke the, or the, the straw, a straw that, that broke, broke the camel's, camel's back. back yeah, right? that's kind of what I said. Yeah. Um, Let's see. 
was that how is that so you talk about that that paints just an image in my mind where I see kind of a build up a build up of a long time right where there's straw after straw so there's things that build up what was it that made that experience and that um, somewhat of a failure different than the other um, like difficulty 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 that you had yeah well it was kind of the leading uh, you know as you say the straw Um, it was kind of the beginning of a difficult period in my life and I mentioned this hubris attitude in the world and in myself for sure. Um, and uh, it was, you know, the, the, we, we, we crashed terribly. You know, we, I, lost, I lost a lot of money myself. I lost a lot of other people's money. Um, my friends who had, in, who had kind of backed me, invested in it. And it caused, you know, it caused a lot of damage. It caused a lot of heartache. Um, and it's difficult to fail, um, especially when you know you didn't. Most people don't go into something thinking they're going to fail. And uh, so, again, I mentioned there's a lot of things happening at that time. Um, a lot of it was my professional life. I was in development uh, at that time. I mentioned that, and uh, really, the things that I had been taught when I was younger that if I worked hard. I always worked hard that if I took some calculated risks, you know, I, I ventured, um, and I did things the right way. I didn't break the rules. Uh, I was honest. I was fair. You know, I did all those things that they teach you in Sunday school. And, um, and I did all that, that everything would work out. And that isn't always the case. And it's about expectations at that point. I had been successful most of my life, you know, for, for a lot of people, people struggle because they can't get what they want. But I think there's a lot more people who struggle not in trying to get what they want, but they struggle with what they have and they get used to always getting their way. And when something doesn't work out, something breaks and you can't fix it. Um, you know, it, it causes a lot of stress. And it put me in a place where I became emotionally distraught when I could not fix it. And uh, when all these things in my that I've been taught all my life, I remember when I was younger, there was a guy named Ken Carr, and I thought so much of him. He's the guy that taught me how to dribble a basketball behind my back, you know, when I was going through playing high school basketball and that kind of thing. Spent a lot of time with him, and he he always said, um, "Those who, you know, live your life now, like." others won't and then you'll live the rest of your life like others can't and i i kind of hung my hat on that and so i always thought i'm paying the price but some of those foundational things that i believed (laughs) they they came come crashing down and it was a little bit of an identity crisis for me and it caused me a lot of depression and anxiety and uh it caused my family a lot of of anxiety and and stress and it was tough tough period Tough for a lot of people then, certainly tough for me. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's what I mentioned when when you know I wouldn't blame the haunted house for that. It was a bigger thing. Um, you know, it's just the way I was raised, the my, the expectations I'd built for myself, and that's when it was kind of a reckoning, if you will, mm-hmm. yeah. or a wake up. Yeah. Yeah. So I 
I mean, I'm kind of studying depression in school, and I've learned that depression affects people differently. Right. Um, what can you tell those of us that haven't experienced it? Like, what could be helpful for us to best help those who do have depression? Who have it, yeah. Um, I think you're right in asking the question uh, prior to having experienced it myself. And I think depression, you know, there's... There's as many things that cause depression and anxiety as there are people. I don't know that anybody has the exact same experience, the exact same cause, the exact same, you know, so there's all kinds of causes. And so I can only, when I talk about this, people often ask me about it. Uh, I have to, I have to make sure that I say, this is my experience and this is what happened to me. And it may not apply to someone else. Right. Yeah, There's totally. a difference. So you, so you have to be careful. So it's varied. Yeah. That's one of the first things to understand. And before my own experience with it, you know, I didn't understand it. I was very confident. I was very, you know, calculating, thought I was smart. And, uh, and I didn't understand how people could get, you know, into that position themselves. And I never thought I could, you know, I could, that could never happen to me. And then when it did, you know, it was, it was pretty, pretty tough. And so I think that's good to understand that it can happen to anyone. Everybody should be on guard a little bit, mm-hmm. right? But I think um, there's some things about depression that I think are mis- misunderstood. Um, you know, we look at everything through the lens of happy and sad. And most people think that depression is being sad. It's not. It's not sad. It's certainly not happy either. <laughs> yeah. But depression to me was a place that was void. It was neither. And, and which is a weird idea. Um, sometimes I almost wished I could have felt sad, that I could feel something because I was numb. And unfortunately, you know, I got into a situation where I was taking medications that were prescribed to me. And I think the difficulty with those medications is that yeah, you're in this situation where you're falling into a deeper state, and they they stop that, which is a good thing, but they also make it so that you can't be happy. They actually freeze you. And so, you know, I'm one that believes that there's opposition in everything, and you can't have happy without sad, and you can't have sad without happy. And, and so... Um, you know, it's very difficult when you get into that situation where you're taking medications and it freezes you. Again, I'm not necessarily saying you shouldn't take them, but it's something to understand that you're also taking away that ability to climb. And uh, that's what happened to me. Um, so that's something to understand for people as well. It's not a matter of, you know, for someone on the outside, I say outside, someone who hasn't had it, someone who's watching someone go through it, it's not a matter of trying to make him have fun. You know, hey, let's go on a trip. You know, uh, it's not a matter of, hey, I'll give you some money. You could, I could have won the lottery and had $100 million in the bank. I still would have been depressed. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about fun. Um, I had people take me. Your dad took me on a trip to Hawaii which is a noble and appreciated gesture. But at, at the same time, it's, uh, you know, it, it doesn't really help. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you help someone? I think you just have to kind of wait in the wings. It's something that someone, in, again, in my circumstances, the type of depression that I had, the causes, it's something you have to figure out yourself. 
it can't come from the outside. A pill isn't going to fix it. Um, you know, reading a book isn't necessarily going to fix it. It's something that you have to figure out. And it's, you know, to me, it was a spiritual thing. It really wasn't. It was emotional and it was physical even, but first it was spiritual. And uh, when you get, you know, into that spiral, uh, you lose faith, you lose hope. Uh, you get into a state of despair, which, you know, to someone like myself, a person who is trying to be a person of faith, and suddenly you have no faith, you have no trust in God that this is for my good. Um, and so that's a bad place to be. Yeah. It's almost a matter of repentance mm -hmm. to get out of it. That's how it was for me. You know, again, that's not for everyone, but... but but that's me. So I'm just sitting here wondering um, about depression. I have had a lot of questions myself. Um, I think it's a topic of conversation for a lot of people. Right. Um, I mean, COVID has reported to increase the number of right um, like suicide hotline calls yeah. and a lot of things like that. It's, it's a pretty prevalent thing in our society. I think you were telling me a statistic that you learned from your, your BYU oh, class. In one of like the TED Talks that we watched, it was saying that one in nine adults is taking medication right now in the U.S. taking medication right now for depression, and one in it was either four or five have taken it at some point in their lives. Right. Which is mind-boggling. Like yeah. I know lots of people, and I right that statistic makes you think. Oh yeah. Right. I mean, lots of people very close to me are dealing with depression currently. Right. It's it's something that is not in the background for me, and I think that it's it's healthy, and I'm glad that it's out there, but. I just wonder, I mean, it's it's amazing. Would you say that you've overcome depression? Would you say that it's something you understand and you've learned how to deal with? Like, what? How does how does that process work for, in your perspective? I, uh, you know, I still wake up. It changes you. It changes you. I mean, any experience that's any deep or lasting experience at all changes you. Obviously, um, you know, I'm much more sober about things. Um, I'm much more careful about things. Um, do I still have days where I wake up and I have that feeling of anxiety or, you know, uh, yeah, I'm probably not as fun as I once was, uh, you know, and, and maybe that's just, I'm getting older too, but yeah, it changes you. And, um, you know, I, th again, I think anybody's susceptible to it, but, you know, I think the way to I manage my own expectations better now. I'm okay being an average Joe. You know, my parents told me when I was younger, I remember my dad just trying to instill confidence in me, Greg, you can be anything you want in this world. And that's not really true. You know, <laughs> I can't be LeBron James. I can't be Albert Einstein. I can't be, you know these people who have extreme talents and whatever it is you want to, you know, Mozart, it doesn't matter. I can't be any of those people, but that's okay. And I think that's the biggest problem with a lot of people that have this, especially young people and social media. I don't do social media. Social media tells us what we're supposed to do and feel to be happy and look like. And when we don't meet those expectations, we don't get enough like buttons, then suddenly... You know, I didn't meet my own expectations, and so I'm, I slide into this place of, of depression, this void, 
And so, you know, I think I'm smarter about managing my own expectations now. You know, what am I going to be in the next 10 years? I'm not trying to build monuments to myself anymore. Yeah. You become okay with being okay. I'm okay. I'm okay just being a Joe. (laughs) Right? Well, you're an awesome Joe. No offense. No offense (laughs) to any Joe out there, but yeah, I just want to be you, right? (laughs) Yeah. Oh. Yeah, well, that's super cool. Um, I think that that that's really important for people to understand too. And I think that I'm, I'm grateful that you shared that with us, just because it is, especially in our culture of, I mean, where you taught, you brought up that faith was something that brought you out um, a little bit. Right. I think in our faith we have a lot of expectations for ourselves, and we do talk about just being the best that we can be. Right. And. It's just hard to understand the the difference between expecting yourself to be the best you can be and expecting yourself to just be a little better and to just right. be okay with where you're at. It's it's hard to be content at the same time as being right. optimistic for the future. Right. We look at everything as a place of arrival. You know, well, I'll be I'll be good when I'm I'll be happy when I get to there. And I think that's the wrong perspective because there is no sense of arrival in this life. It's this life is a process. And so, I mean, that sounds deep or whatever, but I'm just saying there is no sense of arrival. Anything I've ever said, Hey, I'd love to have, you know, I wish I could once upon a time, I wish I had a horse. Well, I have 12 of them now. I'm not any happier than I was when I had one. Right. And so, you know, I wish I had a hundred. There's no arrival and it doesn't matter what you're talking about. Because I think this life is the process. It's the trail. And so you got to be happy with the process. If you're looking for these milestones that you're going to be happy once you get to there, you're gonna, your expectations are off. You're going to be disappointed. Yeah, totally. So. We've kind of had conversations where we're talking about living in the present. Like, there's obviously you want to plan and prepare for the future, but be in the moment. Be... Right. Where you are right now because you won't ever have the opportunity to be there again. So I love that perspective for right. sure. So just in in closing, we have, uh, well, I guess I'll tell you a little bit about our podcast. Okay. And for those of you who are listening for your first time, because this is the first episode, we, we can maybe give you a little bit more of a dive into um, some of the things that we're I'd kind of like to know now. <laughs> yeah. I do with myself. <laughs> so we, we've called it the Good Vibe Hive. The, the intent is that we can have a place where we can um, just spread good vibes, a a platform where we can talk about good and happy things um, and try to just project the the world in this kind of crazy time in a little bit better light Right. and to to project some good messages that that we all have. And to do that, we wanted to bring in a, a variety of unique people with unique life experiences who are really cool. We think that every person... Whether or not they're an average Joe, we think that that's what makes them cool, is that each right. and every one of us is individual. It doesn't matter. You can be Joe, but at least you're Joe... With a story. Gagan with a story. Instead of Joe Davies, right? And you have yeah. a story. You have a life story that makes you who you are. Um, so we wanted to, to end this, I guess, just by asking what kind of good vibes from your haunted house experience, from your um, dealing with depression, what things can you share with the world um, at this time that you believe are going to project um, just positivity. Positivity. Um, that's, I guess, a tough question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like advice or... 
just something that I learned. I think work hard, work really hard, but do something for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, that fixes a lot of things. I love that. Yeah, turning outward when you don't want to is really good. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. Hey, well, thank you so much for joining us, Greg. Yeah, thank yep. you. We really appreciate you, and we look forward to everything that you absolutely do. Well, good luck with this and <laughs> i'll have fun watching and see where you go with it <laughs> all right thank you thanks for joining us for this week's edition of really cool people if you're not following us on social media yet you really need to we're on instagram twitter facebook go follow us Subscribe to our podcast to make sure you don't miss out on any adventures from our Good Vibe Hive. We'll see you next Saturday for another edition of Really Cool People.